killing the world as they prove to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. When I'm killing, I'm always proving it's the same. Yeah, the hottest podcast out there. Oh, yes. Very informative. When I'm home, Tim, I'm always tuned in for days. He has the hottest podcast out here. When I'm home, Tim, in the world, I stay tuned to the famous podcast. It's the hottest message out there. trying to figure out some puzzles. I'm not here to start nothing. I ain't trying to start nothing. Just got some things that I want to get done. Some things that I want to get solved. Some things I want to enlighten myself with. So maybe y'all take a time and to get the opportunity to stop by and listen to my thoughts. Hope so. Very intellectual. So, if you get time, just holler at me. I'm reminiscing all in my room. Just trying to figure out a whole lot of things. Until then, y'all have a great day. And thank you for coming in and listening to me. Thanks. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about before we get lost, let me out of thoughts. Can't get what we do without knowing. While Politico is reporting the Biden administration is preparing to ask Congress to approve a new $1.1 billion arms sale to Taiwan, the package reportedly includes 60 anti-ship missiles, 100 air-to-air missiles. This comes after two U.S. warships sailed through the Taiwan Strait Sunday for the first time since House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan earlier this month. China condemned the visit and launched major military drills near Taiwan. Meanwhile, President Biden announced $3 billion in more military aid for Ukraine last week, including money for missiles, artillery rounds, and drones to help Ukrainian forces fight Russia. We begin today's show looking at U.S. policy on Russia and China. We're joined by the economist Jeffrey Sachs, director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University. He's president of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network. He served as advisor to three UN secretaries general. His latest articles headlined the West false narrative about Russia and China. He begins the article by writing, quote, the world is on the edge of nuclear catastrophe in no small part because of the failure of Western political leaders to be forthright about the causes of the escalating global conflicts. The relentless Western narrative that the West is noble while Russia and China are evil is simple-minded and extraordinarily dangerous, Jeffrey Sachs writes. Jeffrey Sachs, welcome to Democracy Now! Why don't you take it Thank from you. there? Good to be what, with you. <clears throat> what is the story that people in the West and around the world should understand about what's happening right now with these conflicts with Russia, with Russia and Ukraine, and with China? The main point, Amy, is that we are not using diplomacy. We are using weaponry. 
this uh, sale now announced to Taiwan that you've been discussing this morning is just another case in point. This does not make Taiwan safer. This does not make the world safer. It certainly doesn't make the United States safer. This goes back uh, a long way. I think it's useful to start 30 years ago. The Soviet Union ended and some American leaders got it into their head that there was now what they called the unipolar world, that the U.S. was the sole superpower and we could run the show. The results have been disastrous. We have had now three decades of militarization of American foreign policy. A new database that Tufts is maintaining has just shown that there have been more than 100 military interventions by the United States since 1991. It's really unbelievable. And I have seen in my own experience over the last 30 years working extensively in Russia, in Central Europe, in China, and in other parts of the world, how the U.S. approach is a military first and often a military only approach. We arm who we want. We call for NATO enlargement, no matter what other countries say may be harmful to their security interests. We brush aside anyone else's security interests and when they complain, we ship more armaments to our allies in that region. We go to war when we want, where we want, whether it was Afghanistan or Iraq or the covert war against Assad in Syria, which is even today not properly understood by the American people, or the war in Libya. And we say we're peace loving. What's wrong with Russia and China? They are so warlike. They're out to undermine the world. And we end up in terrible confrontations. The war in Ukraine, just to finish the, the uh, introductory uh, view, could have been avoided and should have been avoided through diplomacy. What President Putin of Russia was saying for years was do not expand NATO into the Black Sea, not to Ukraine, much less to Georgia, which if people look on the map, straight across to the eastern edge of the Black Sea. Russia said this will surround us. This will jeopardize our security. Let us have diplomacy. The United States rejected all diplomacy. I tried to contact the White House at the end of 2021. In fact, I did contact the White House and said, there will be war unless the U.S. enters diplomatic talks with President Putin over this question of NATO enlargement. I was told the U.S. will never do that. That is off the table. And it was off the table. Now we have a war that's extraordinarily dangerous and we are taking exactly the same tactics in East Asia that led to the war in Ukraine. We're organizing alliances building up weaponry, uh, trash-talking China, uh, having Speaker Pelosi fly to uh, Taiwan when the Chinese government said, please, lower the temperature, lower the tensions. We say, no, we do what we want and now send more arms. This is a recipe for yet another war. And to my mind, it's terrifying. We are at the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I've studied all my life and I've written about, I've written a book about the aftermath. We are driving to the precipice and we are uh, filled with our, uh, our enthusiasm as we do so. And it's just uh, unaccountably uh, dangerous and uh, wrong-headed the whole approach of uh, U.S. foreign policy, and it's bipartisan. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs, I wanted to ask you, um, one of the things that you uh, mentioned in a recent article that was published in Consortium News was this insistence of the U United States uh, dragging Europe along as well uh, in maintaining hegemony uh, throughout the world at a time when 
the economic uh, power of uh, the West is declining. You mentioned, for instance, that the BRICS nations, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, represent more than 40% of the world's population and have a greater uh, GDP than the G7 nations, yet their interests and their concerns are pretty much uh, uh, dismissed or in the case, obviously, of uh, of uh, Russia and China, uh, portrayed to the American people as the aggressors, as uh, the authoritarians, the as the ones that are creating turmoil in the world. And I'm wondering if you could expand is, on uh, that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, directing us to that is extremely important. The, the disproportionate power of the Western world, and especially the Anglo-Saxon world, which started with the British Empire, and now the United States, is about 250 years old. So a short period in world history. It happened for a lot of very interesting reasons that the Industrial Revolution came to England first. Uh, the steam engine was invented there. That's probably the single most important invention of modern history. Britain became militarily dominant in the 19th century, like the United States was in the second half of the 20th century. Britain ran the show. Britain had the empire on which the sun never set. And the West, meaning the United States and Western Europe, now meaning the US and uh, the European Union, the UK, Canada, Japan, in other words, the G7, the European Union uh, together, uh, is, is a small part of the world population, uh, perhaps uh, now uh, roughly 10%, uh, a little bit more, maybe 12.5% if you add in Japan uh, to uh, Western Europe and the US. Uh, the mindset is we run the world. And that was the way it was for 200 years uh, in this industrial age. But times have changed. And really since the 1950s, the rest of the world, when it gained independence from European imperialism, started to educate its populations, started to adopt and adapt and innovate technologies. And lo and behold, a small sliver of the world really didn't run the world or didn't have a monopoly on wisdom or knowledge or science or technology. And this is wonderful. Uh, the knowledge and possibility of decent lives is spreading throughout the whole world. But in the United States, there's a resentment to this a deep resentment. I think there's also a tremendous historical ignorance because uh, I think a lot of U.S. leaders have no clue as to modern history, but they resent China's rise. That is an affront to the United States. How dare China rise? This is our world. This is our century. And so starting around 2014, I saw step by step, I watched it, it within Hence, uh, uh, detail because it's it's my daily activity. How the United States recast China not as a uh, country that was uh, recovering from uh, a century and a half of uh, great difficulty, but rather as an enemy. And we consciously, as a matter of American foreign policy, started to say we need to contain China. China's rise is no longer in our interest, as if the United States is to determine whether China is prosperous or not. But the Chinese are not naive. In fact, they're extraordinarily sophisticated. They watched all of this exactly the same way that I did. I know the authors of the U.S. texts. They are my colleagues uh, at Harvard or uh, other places. I was shocked when this kind of containment idea started to be applied. But the basic point is the West has led the world for a brief period, 250 years, but feel that's our right. This is a Western world. We are the G7. We get to determine who writes the rules of the game. Uh, indeed, Obama, uh, you know, a good guy on, on, on the spectrum of uh, what we have in foreign policy, uh, said, uh, let's write the rules of trade for Asia 
but not have China uh, write uh, any of those rules. The U.S. will write the rules. This is a this is a, a an incredibly naive and dangerous and outmoded way to no. uh, understand the world. We in the United States are 4.2 percent of the world's population. We do not run the world. We are not world leader. We are a country of 4.2 percent of the people in a big, diverse world, and we should learn to get along, play in the sandbox peacefully, not demand that we have all the toys in the sandbox. And we're not over that thinking yet. And unfortunately, it's both political parties. It's what motivates Speaker Pelosi to go to Taiwan in the middle of all of this as if she really had to go to stir up the tensions. But it's the mindset that the U.S. is in charge. I wanted to go back a little bit uh, to back into the uh, the, the 1990s. Uh, uh, you recall, I'm sure, the the uh, the enormous financial collapse that occurred in Mexico uh, uh, in the 1990s, where the Clinton administration uh, authorized 50 billion dollars in a bailout uh, to Mexico, which was really to Wall Street investors. At the time, you were you were uh, advising the post-Soviet uh, 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 Russian government, which also had a financial uh, had deep financial problems at the time but was not unable to get uh, any significant uh, Western assistance or even from the International Monetary Fund. And you were critical of that at the time. I'm wondering if you could talk about the differences, how the U.S. responded to the Mexico crisis versus the Russian financial crisis and what the roots of that may have been in the, what the current situation is in Russia today. A absolutely. And, and I had a I had a controlled experiment because I was economic advisor both to Poland and to the Soviet Union in the last uh, year of President Gorbachev and to President Yeltsin in the first two years of uh, Russian independence, 1992-93. My job was finance uh, to actually help Russia find a way to address, as you described it, a, a massive financial crisis and my basic a uh, recommendation in Poland and then in Soviet Union and in Russia was to avoid a societal crisis and a geopolitical crisis. The, the rich Western world should help to tamp down this extraordinary financial crisis that was taking place with the breakdown of the former Soviet Union. Well, interestingly, in the case of Poland, I made a series of very specific recommendations, and they were all accepted by the U.S. government, creating a stabilization fund, canceling part of Poland's debts, allowing uh, many financial maneuvers to get Poland out of uh, the difficulty. And, you know, I patted myself on the back. Oh, look at this. I make a recommendation. And one of them for a billion dollars stabilization fund was accepted within eight hours by the White House. So I thought pretty good. Then came uh, the analogous appeal on behalf of first Gorbachev in the final days and then President Yeltsin. Everything I recommended, which was on the same uh, basis of uh, economic dynamics was rejected flat out by the White House. I didn't understand it, I have to tell you at the time. I said, but it worked in Poland. And they'd stare at me blankly. Uh, in fact, uh, a, an acting secretary of state in 1992 said, Professor Sachs, it, it doesn't even matter whether I agree with you or not, it's not going to happen. And it took me actually quite a while to understand the underlying geopolitics. Those were exactly the days of Cheney and Wolfowitz and Rumsfeld and what became the project for the new American century, meaning for the continuation of American hegemony. I didn't see it at the moment because I was thinking as an economist how to help overcome a financial crisis, but the unipolar politics was taking shape and it was devastating. 
Of course, it left Russia in a massive financial crisis that led to a lot of instability that had its own implications for years to come. But even more than that, what these people were planning early on, despite explicit promises to Gorbachev and Yeltsin, was the expansion of NATO. And Clinton started the expansion of NATO with the three countries of Central Europe, uh, Poland, Hungary, uh, and Czech Republic. And then George W. Bush Jr. added seven countries, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, and the three Baltic states, but right up against Russia. And then in 2008, the coup de grace, which was the U.S. insistence over the private opposition of the European leaders. And European leaders talked to me privately about it at the time. But in 2008, Bush said, NATO will expand to Ukraine and to Georgia. And again, if you take out a map and look at the Black Sea, the explicit goal was to surround Russia in the Black Sea. By the way, it's an old playbook. It's the same playbook as Palmerston in 1853 to 1856 in the first Crimean War. Surround Russia in the Black Sea, cut off its uh, ability uh, to uh, have a military presence and to project uh, any kind of influence into the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, Brzezinski himself said in 1997 that Ukraine would be the geographic pivot for Eurasia. So what these neocons were doing in the early 1990s was building the U.S. unipolar world. And they were already contemplating lots of wars in order to take out the former Soviet allied countries. Wars to overthrow Saddam, wars to overthrow Assad, wars to overthrow Gaddafi. Those were all rolled out in the next 20 years. They've been a complete disaster, debacle for those countries, horrible for the United States, trillions of dollars wasted. But it was a plan. And that neoconservative plan is in its heyday right now on two fronts, in the Ukraine front and on the Taiwan Straits front. And it's extraordinarily dangerous what these people are doing to American foreign policy, which hardly is a is, is a, you know, a, a, a policy of democracy. It's a policy of a small group that has the idea that unipolar, a unipolar world and U.S. hegemony is the way that we need to go. Um, Jeffrey Sachs, we don't have much time, but since this was such a big issue, Naomi Klein took you on big time between what happened as the Russian economy unraveled to the conditions leading up to the Ukraine invasion. I mean, how did the economic catastrophe that followed the collapse of the Soviet, Soviet Union lead to the rise of the oligarchic class and indeed the presidency of Vladimir Putin? Yeah, I, I've tried to explain to Naomi, uh, whom I admire a great deal uh, for years, that what I was recommending was financial help to whether it was Poland or to the Soviet Union or to Russia. I was absolutely aghast at the cheating and the corruption and the giveaways. And I said so very explicitly at the time and resigned uh, over it, both because I was useless in trying to get Western help and also because I did not like at all what was going on. And I would say that the failure of an orderly approach, which was achieved in Poland, but failed in the former Soviet Union because there was no uh, Western constructive engagement definitely played a role in the instability in the 1990s, definitely played a role in the rise of the oligarch class. In fact, I, I was absolutely explaining to the U.S. and to the IMF and the World Bank in 1994-95 what was going on. They didn't care because they thought, well, that's okay, that's for that's for Yeltsin, perhaps, uh, all of that cheating in the shares for loans process. Having said all of that- We have less a, than a minute. It, okay, having said all of that, I think what is important to say is that there is no linear determinism 
even from events like that, which were destabilizing and very unhappy and unnecessary to what is happening now. Because when President Putin came in, he was not anti-European. He was not anti-American. What he saw, though, was the incredible arrogance of the United States, the expansion of NATO, the wars in Iraq, the, the covert war in Syria, the war in Libya against the UN resolution. So we created so much of what we're facing right now through our own ineptitude and arrogance. There was no linear determination. It was step-by-step -step U.S. arrogance that has helped to bring us to where we are today. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Damn, Nicaraguan president, what you doing with the Lord, man? How you moving like this, Nicaraguan president? I can't say your name. This dude right here won't let me breathe. Closing all churches? What you mean you closing all the churches? No more God. If we not living in the last days and the Antichrist is about to show itself, I don't know what it... When you have leaders who explicitly target God, the churches, everything going downhill, y'all. Y'all pray for them people down there in Nicaragua. They can be subject to penalties of death for worshiping the Lord. This president. Can y'all believe we is living in the last days? Everybody just pray for them people. My God. Ultimate doom. December 13th, 2022. Now called C-Day Biden Box Central Bank Digital Currency Executive Order 14. Zero six seven. This article goes on to say, buried in the new government spending bill in Executive Order 14067 called Bitcoin's evil cousin, James Rickards and Robert Kiyosaki call this evil move to eliminate our U.S. currency and replace it with Biden bucks, the most treasonous act in U.S. history. He also exposed the supposed singular event called C-Day, which according to them will take place on December 13, 2022, and will disrupt the traditional financial systems in the U.S. Please understand the possible implications of this ultimate challenge to our free society. Any cash you now have saved outside of the banking system is invalid and will no longer be of any value when this process is complete. Any digital currency you have in the bank may be turned off by government thugs for not obeying the correct party line. Those selling precious metals for money will receive Biden bucks rather than cash. No Biden bucks means no food, rent, mortgage, cars, clothes, etc. Everything will be denied. What else have I forgotten that is going to be destroyed by this digital endgame? And they combine this bill with 87,000 new armed IRS agents, what could possibly go wrong? When Biden bucks are rolled out, many experts, myself included, 
believe they will begin an era of total government control and surveillance, Rickards stated. This is not hyperbole. This would dramatically expand the power and influence of the federal government, essentially acting as a new type of spyware. With Biden bucks, the government will be able to force you to comply with its agenda. Because if you don't, I guys don't have a lot of time, but I need to tell you something. Everyone needs to know. See all these, see all these cases? They all got tablets in them. And every single one of these tablets has all of our information in there. Every single person that got the vaccine, your data is stored in these tablets, and they will control you. Stay woke. Check them out, because this is one I revealed in my last video about 6G. And all worldwide corporations are already ready to go to this next stage. They are destroying God's creation. They want to deny us the right to breathe air. They've been doing experimenting with animals to make them not to have to have oxygen to be able to survive. And they've had some successful tests with this. Understand the few of you who will survive and make it to the end and be saved. Understand and reach as many as you can because the time is running short. This is a takedown of everything that is good in the world. Everything that our Heavenly Father created. Now getting back to that with the witnesses. Again, revelation isn't taking place in any sequence or order the way you have been meant to believe. They are using quantum computers, AI technology, and unless you understand what's involved with these, you're not going to grasp how they're going to be using the technology to deceive you. What is the key in the Bible, in revelation? Everything with these last days, lying wonders, delusions, deceptions, and again with the mark, with the evil one, he causes all. It doesn't say we have to worship you first, you willingly need to uh, accept this. He makes people get the mark of the beast. And another thing, the word for worship in Greek, in Revelation, where everybody says we have to worship, we have to worship the, the, the man of sin, the man of perdition. You want to know what the word for worship entails, what it means in the original language? It means to suck up to, to, to fawn over. It isn't just worship in the way most of you think, like in front of a statue, how some people kneel down and worship at a church or at a Catholic church. It's just exactly like what many people were doing with Trump, fawning over, idolizing. That's what the word means in Greek. Look it up. Find the passages, get a strong concordance, go on Bible Hub and research some of these passages and maybe you'll learn what's really going on and what Revelation is really revealing to you. Now, again, I want to give you something just to think about with the two witnesses. And you could check this throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. Well, let's just take Revelation 11.3. So I wanted to get on here and talk about the U.S. Central Bank digital currency that's going to be starting. Now, when Biden signed this executive order on March 9th of this year, this shit's already put into motion. It's going to happen. There's no stopping it. And now, who's going to be backing the central bank digital currency? None other than the Federal Reserve. So what does that mean? You put that together with these IRS agents that they just hired that are able to carry guns and use deadly force, what this means they are going to be able to seize your assets whenever the fuck they want to so your money my money our money is not going to be our money anymore they will have access to take it whenever they want not to mention when digital currency starts guess what it can get hacked hijacked tracked all that shit we are on our way to a social credit system just like China has and the impact of this is going to be huge 
Why do you think those IRS agents can pack guns and use deadly force? They're coming for us. That's why they're coming for us. Not only that, when they pass that other order that outlines the entire U.S. where they can just basically kick in anybody's door. This all ties together, you guys. The government is greedy. They are constantly greedy no matter how much money they have or make, it's never enough. Now, this with the central, you know, digital banking system is going to give them and corporations a chance to make more and more money. And at the same time, they're going to be taking our money and making things hard for us. Just like they passed that law, people that speak out against the government or conspiracy were considered terrorists now. So what do you think? If they mark you as a terrorist, they're going to go seize your damn fucking money. This shit is not looking good, guys, at all. At all. And, you know, the sad part is, like, it's happening. It's definitely happening. And we see how Big C is already doing it in their country. And, you know, they control everything over there. And that's where America is headed. And the people that are running all this shit over here in America, like I say before, are fucking all idiots. They're clowns. They're evil little clown fucking dumbasses. But anyway, guys, this shit is not good. So drop your comments. Have a blessed day. That there's racial disparities here. When there was a drug issue in the African-American community, we were prosecuted, we were put in jail, children were put in foster care, families were ripped apart, it was treated like a criminal justice issue, we had Rockefeller drug laws, our jails were filled with men and women that look just like me now. We have an opiate issue. It is affecting another demographic. Now it is a health issue. And now we have to put money into diverting individuals from prison into treatment. And so what is missing from this package is a restorative justice package for all those individuals that were jailed and for all those families that were ripped apart and for the individuals who have criminal records because they had addiction Ms. issues just uh, like the people Ms. who are Richardson, suffering. How- statistic today that I'd like to um, reveal, at least in the States, sure. that gives some hope for the future. Because in the States, only 5% of children currently have had the first vaccination. Now, for any parent listening, I would go on my knees to beg you not to vaccinate your children. The children are being sacrificed on the high altar of these gods, these technocrats. And child sacrifice is not going to solve, say, granny in the nursing home. It's going to kill children, each one of which is not a statistic. Each one of those children who would die from this vaccine, this clot shot, is as close to someone as my children are to me. This has to stop, not just for children, but for the entire population. It's the most catastrophic intervention in medical history. It's at that scale of enormity. I also give you two Supreme Court cases that prove that every code, statute, and policy are not for the living man, but for government agents only. And anybody who tells you otherwise is just lying to you because you can look this up yourself. Rodriguez versus Ray Donovan is the first one, and I want to read you this code. The Supreme Court of the United States of America has determined all codes, rules, and regulations are for government authorities only, not human slash creators in accordance with God's laws. All codes, rules, and regulations are unconstitutional and lacking due process. Look up the Supreme Court case, download it, read the entire thing. You will find that quote. The next is Cruden versus Neal. There, every man is independent of all laws except those prescribed by nature. He is not bound by any institution formed by his fellow man without his consent. Everything you consent to. 
see the supremacy clause of the United States, this constitution and all the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the constitution or the laws of any state non-withstanding. It doesn't matter. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm done arguing. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. Anyone that profits off of you being blind will never teach you or inspire you to see. It's kind of dirty. You know, the water's kind of dirty. You know, I don't know if there's something that rusts or whatever the case might be. It's frustrating. Everybody's frustrated, you know. I have me and six kids here. And I have to constantly remind them, do not brush your teeth with that water. Do not wash your, wash your face with that water. Me as a parent, I'm going to do whatever it takes for us to survive in these water crises. You got to be fucking kidding me. I know you lying. Down there in Texas, old Timothy Japheth. Timothy Japheth, or whatever the fuck you say your name. This can't be real. Federal judge was arrested last night for smuggling humans. So the federal judge is in on this child trafficking and human smuggling shit. A motherfucking federal judge is in on it, y'all. A federal judge is in on the smuggling. Down there in Texas. <laughs> Texas, y'all just keep the hits coming. Between Texas and Florida, I don't know who crazier. I don't know who got the mother, I don't know who got the craziest politicians, the craziest judges, lawyers, and citizens. Florida or Texas. So the federal judge been smuggling motherfuckers this whole time and then got caught. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the concept of a federal judge doing this. Cause now my mind is wondering, have you been doing this to children? The little kids? Is you up with the, the pedophile shit too? So he, he do. Are y'all serious, man? The man was just arrested, man. This is a judge we talking about. We always news talk about, you know, it was these people, the, 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 the actors and the, and the actresses and the Hollywood people. But we got to, we got, if the judge is in on the man, he know the prosecutors and, the, and he, he know all the lawmakers, the senators. Oh, they, he, He's finna be unalived real soon. Don't you worry about a federal judge. They gonna take care of you. They gonna take care of you real fast. Man, you looking at forever in prison. This motherfucker finna tell on everything but Kennedy's assassination. You hear me? Hey man, look, this is where the cabal start to go down. The first thing out of his mouth is, you know, I wanna make a deal. He done synced it too many times. So now he's in that position. Is they gonna give him enough time on earth to tell? Or is they finna say, is he finna get Clintonized? He finna get Clintonized. Y'all tell me what y'all think about this federal judge down in Texas. Oh, Timothy. Timothy! Your time is up! Oh, Timmy! Be ready for a conflict with China in the next few hours. Taiwan firing warning shots at a Chinese drone that flew over an offshore island during exercises in Taipei officials doubling down vowing to counterattack if China enters its territory. Is this more provocation or is this the real deal or should we all get ready for World War III here? I believe that the U.S. forces worldwide should move to DEFCON 2. We certainly should get ready for a heightened state of tension. You have a conflict in East Asia, a conflict in Ukraine, and that's really the beginnings of the world's next global war. In other words, China is trying to provoke a crisis and this crisis obviously could spiral out of control. There are mobilizing the Chinese people, getting ready for war. The United States is not prepared. We're getting closer and closer. While you're being currently distracted, Xi Jinping issued a white paper today withdrawing the act to send troops if it takes control of the island of Taiwan. What he's saying is he will send troops in there. You're thoroughly distracted right now with the entire Trump compound raid. I get that, but we're missing a lot of things. Let's go ahead and look at the map. All right, let's look at a map that you don't typically see in American schools. Taiwan. If you're not aware, China already extended its military operations around the island of Taiwan. 
Taiwan primarily depends on fishing to feed their poor. Fishing. What's going to end up happening here, guys, is they're controlling, obviously, flights coming in and out. They're controlling shipping in and out. And more importantly, their main source of food for the poor. That's going to create an uprising within this island. Suzu, all they have to do is wait it out. China's looking at controlling this region here. If you're up to date with operations, you understand what I'm talking about. Down here, once again, China has either government-based controlled operations and or military operations. The government-based control operations can easily be converted over to military operations. Any general will tell you that. They got it here, 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 here. You know, and more importantly, I would start looking at what's going on over here. Again, China-based operations. Now, if you're not aware, a, th a third of the world's shipping comes through this area here. Okay, more importantly, I don't need to tell you how much shipping comes from here over to here. When we come over here, this is real simple. Iran's the world's state sponsor of terrorism. China, once again, has ports over in this area, all through here and on both sides of the canal. Russia's already playing around with Cuba. Now you got the nuclear PSA up here. If Iran sponsors some type of a terrorism scenario, which again, since we have open borders, isn't that hard to get back up in here, they can once again disrupt shipping from chaos, which is gonna cause problems over here. Russia obviously can keep all kinds of control and pressure on this area through this little proxy war going on here. You don't want to call it a proxy war, that's your opinion. I don't care. Coming over here, all the, what you need to start watching for is obviously this alliance between Russia, China, and Iran. China starts cutting back on shipping to the United States. I, Iran sponsors some type of a terrorism situation where these guys come up and start creating chaos up in here, along with cyber attacks, food production, energy grids. You think shopping on Black Friday is bad? Wait until our population tears itself apart. And that overnight, this is an amazing story, 60 Ukrainian soldiers, you probably will not see this in the mainstream media at all. I, I would really challenge CNN to actually cover this part of the story. So overnight, a group of 60 Ukrainian commandos, two commando groups with seven boats, launched across the river to try to take back the Zaporizhia power plant. Now, they attacked the area using shells that we just showed you um, in this video. And that was this morning. So these 60 Ukrainian soldiers attack the, try to attack the plant on boats. Then the Russian Air Force took them out and three of them are now in custody. Two of them are in critical condition. And I'm absolutely sure that the weapons and the, uh, the nuclear inspectors maybe would love to speak with them. Yes. You know, like, hey, we got some guys in the hospital. Uh, they, they were trying to show up this morning. Maybe we should go and talk to those guys. Uh, we also learned this afternoon that and Gonzalo Lira is tweeting this. I've seen this now in multiple reports that the he's jokingly calling this a rumor. But you can read between the lines. We don't have we don't have confirmation of this yet. But I've heard from multiple sources on this that this was planned by the British, uh, the, the British military, the British special forces to carry out this early morning attack on the power plant. And the goal, I'm just gonna go through what, what Gonzalo says here, is that this was a Boris Johnson himself was pushing for this insanity. A group of British trained Ukrainian commandos would stage an amphibious raid on this area and form a beachhead for a larger attack group of the power plant. Their plan was to take the International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors as hostages and then mine the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and then get this he says they would pretend to be Russian commandos so they could blame it on Russians that's ridiculous this is an Avengers movie I know <laughs> but why were these 60 that happened 60 commandos stormed the tried to storm the plant this morning and they were taken out by the Russian Air Force that's been confirmed by multiple news outlets this afternoon so, and there's three of them were captured, two of them in critical condition, boots on the ground.
over, you the Libra gang And plus you savage, baby, you can come and meet the gang You call my phone, I pick it up soon as I hear it rain I turn you to my wife and bought your ass a diamond ring I know you working hard, but let's chill on the weekend I take you to my spot and we can get the freaking Loyalty and respect, shout it, keep it real If a nigga try, you best believe I'm quick to kill Introduce you to my mother. Yeah. You a freak on the cover. Shout it, boss up. Just like a man. Me and you forever. That's the master plan. Hey, this lady coming by with a thug. You the reason why I done fell in love. Yeah, your heart is like a treasure, pure as gold. Girl, I took the gentle. I'ma pull up in a rental. Then I drop it, then I, then I drop it.